Welcome to the Women in STEM podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the PhD application process with our guest hosts, Alvira and Claire. Welcome to the Women in STEM podcast. Um, Would you please like to introduce yourself, Alvira? Of course. Um, I'm a PhD student. I'm in my third year and I'm doing my PhD at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, And I'm doing my PhD in uh, computational and systems biology. Great. And we also have another great speaker here with us. Um, Claire, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Um, Hi, I'm Claire. I am a process technologist at an FMCG company right now, but I did complete my PhD um, last year um, in um, chemical engineering at um, the University of Sheffield in the UK. Great. And I would like to hear what your definitions of a PhD is. Academic um, degree that you can get, essentially, it's um, a research um, degree, um, it's an end research degree where you are required to produce um, original research in your field. So it covers a, a span of different fields. Um, the length of PhDs differs from countries to country. And um, also what is involved in the program will differ from like the type of PhD that you have. And so some are uh, more industrial focused, some require classes before and in some countries, the uh, um, five to seven years, at least in the UK, it's um, three to five years, but typically about three years um, for a PhD. But yeah, um, that's sort of my summary of why PhD is. Very interesting. And why did you choose to pursue a PhD? Um, well, uh, um, it was because I like answering a research question. And so... Um, in my, I think, second year of uni, um, I was applying to different placements, but also I decided to apply to um, um, a research opportunity, research placement, um, just as a backup, to be fun, to be honest. Uh, but I really enjoyed it um, because it was um, to do with, like, consumer goods, so it was to do with um, detergent making. Um, just answering the question around um, how to improve that process got me interested in, like, the research, in the research process itself. Um, so I did ended up doing my fourth year's research um, project um, in that area also. And then realized that, oh, um, I could spend three more years of answering um, deeper questions that led to like innovations in that field. Um, so my PhD was specifically to do with um, beverages, so coffee mixes. Um, and was I was very interested in essentially um, being at the forefront of innovation in that area. Um, th- that's why I decided to do my PhD. <laughs> So PhD is the highest academic degree a person can get. Um, and academia means uh, po- any post-secondary education. So after somebody gets a bachelor's degree, they can choose to go pursue a master's degree. And the highest degree they can pursue after that is a PhD. And typically, uh, having a PhD is a requirement by universities to become a professor. It is also typically a requirement to become a scientist. Um, And uh, a PhD, meaning a person who obtained a PhD, typically had conducted some um, research, contributed to the body of existing knowledge uh, within science, um, and having, producing some uh, 
um, knowledge uh, is a requirement for a PhD thesis research. And why did you choose to um, do a PhD? Why did you choose to pursue doing a PhD? Um, yeah, I thought that PhD is really cool because you do uh, new things um, all the time. So for example, now I don't even know where my research will bring me uh, in a couple of years. I, I have no idea what kind of new uh, techniques uh, I will have to learn. Um, and this is exciting to me. Um, uh, and if you compare like a PhD to other jobs, um, in other jobs, typically you have this like standard, um, standard things that you do every day. And imagining me being like an office worker uh, or something like that didn't bring me joy. But when I thought about doing science um, and exploring my curiosity and also being paid for that, um, that seems like a really great option. Yes. Thank you both for explaining your experiences. I think it shows how vastly different people might consider doing a PhD and why. So how did you choose your university and the program that you applied for? So um, I think uh, the most important thing before even choosing the program to apply to is to choose the field that you want to pursue. Um, for example, I decided um, pretty early on that I was interested in aging and longevity research and how to discover interventions that slow down the aging process in humans. So. I was looking for universities that had um, some laboratories that uh, do this kind of research. So you cannot simply apply to like the best schools and um, hope that you will find something interesting there. You have to already know what you want to pursue um, and look for laboratories that do that. Um, of course, there are some people who still apply and then they figure out what they like in that, that program and that's also fine but I think it's um, a less successful strategy. Interesting and what was your experience Claire? So um, I was lucky <laughs> that um, my university that I was already in was doing um, like doing research in the field that I was interested in and had partnerships with in industrial partners I wanted to work with for my PhD. So I didn't have to go too far um, to um, in terms of university-wise um, and the program-wise also. Um, my supervisor was for my master's project was the same supervisor for my um, PhD. So with me, I didn't have to do um, what Elvira just described, but um, I think Elvira's process, the process that Elvira um, described is the typical process um, that people usually go through when they're trying to um, choose a university and then choose like a PhD topic or a program. Yes, and uh, I think you slightly covered this, Claire, but I'd like to hear um, your experience, Elvira, but did you always plan on doing a PhD? Um, not really. Um, like very early on, I didn't think about it uh, but it was like a natural course of my education so I, I guess I was I started thinking about it only when I um, entered my master's program or maybe a little bit before that um, yeah but I didn't think about it when I was in high school or when I went to undergrad mm. and what would you say are the pros and cons of doing a PhD 
Um, as I mentioned before, uh, PhD is, I think, more flexible than other uh, professions, uh, if you think about it, uh, because it depends, of course, on your laboratory where you do your thesis research, but it usually is more flexible in terms of uh, your schedule or the things that you want to do or the projects that you want to work on. So that's a big plus. Uh, but uh, one of the cons, I think, is the uh, financial side. So you would probably earn more money if you go directly to industry after your bachelor's or master's uh, degree. And what about your experience, Claire? Um, so I would agree with um, the pros and cons shared by um, Elvira. Um, what I would also add on as pros are that the going through the process makes you um, resilient is always the word that people use. But um, essentially, when you're because of the PhD environment, and um, once you leave it, or if you stay in academia, once you're thrown in new like sort of um, area or new question, because you've already gone through the process of sort of analyzing and building up those analytical skills throughout the PhD, you are you learn on your feet, so you're fast thinking. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about um, going through the research degree. Um, a con is that it can be very time consuming. Um, it becomes your whole life. Um, well, some people manage the time aspects of it and it doesn't. But for the most part, it is very mentally and um, mentally consuming and physically consuming for, um, for some people. And you have to your relationships um, around that time may or could suffer um you have to have understanding people around you and build your support network but i think that was sort of the only sort of con i had in terms of um like my phd experience was the, the main one for me those two, financial and time um I, yeah i also wanted to add that um like for in some countries like uh, the us the phd takes from like five years to seven years or sometimes even longer which is a very long time. Uh, while in Europe, it can take from like two, three to four years, uh, which is a bit uh, like more um, reasonable maybe. <laughs> but uh, still, I think it, it is worth it, even though it takes so much time. Great. And this kind of leads into my next question. How long was your application process? Um, my application process was probably over two years long, um, but I think uh, that's not true for most people. For me, it was that long because I actually applied um, for two rounds. So the first time I applied, I only got to one university that was kind of my um, like uh, safety choice. And uh, I didn't really want to go there, so I decided to try again. And um, yeah, and the second time I improved my uh, application quite a lot. So the, the results were much, much better. So I got to like seven out of 15 programs that I applied to. Interesting. And Claire, what about you? Um, my application process was, um, I guess, slightly different and they would differ depending on your um program and your supervisor so for me I had to do the typical one where you would submitted your so you did the first interview with my um, with the supervisor um, and then um, submitted your um, proposal CV 
references um waited for the universe to give you an offer but because i i also did a joint one with um with industry i had to go through the typical um um three round interview process with my company to get that that phd too so i think it was four interviews in the end um i think it took from i think about three months essentially to get the final offer for the full phd but um that was kind of um a special case it, it, can, it can range from one interview to about three interviews depending on what's um what sort of program you're going into yes and what type of questions did you get asked in your interview process kelly can i uh, add a little bit to the previous question first yeah sure definitely <clears throat> um so i wanted to maybe talk a little bit in general about the application process and how it's different among uh, different countries. So I applied uh, to the US and to uh, Europe. And uh, in Europe, the application process typically takes less time. So for example, if you want, first of all, in Europe, you typically can start your PhD either like twice a year, either in the fall or um, uh, in in the like spring or you can start it almost at any time if uh, the program allows that. And uh, typically it takes only a few months um, before like you apply until you actually start working in the lab. Uh, and um, usually the application is more about talking to a specific laboratory, the professor in that laboratory. Uh, the interview is uh, usually you know already that you want to work in this specific lab. Um, while in the US, the applica- you can only enter a PhD in the fall and um, you have to apply not only a few months before you have to apply uh, more than half a year before. So if you want to enter uh, next fall, you have to apply by let's say mid-December or so. And uh, when you have your interviews, you typically don't um, know yet exactly which lab you will join. So you have interviews with uh, multiple professors from the program, and some of them might not be even uh, the professors that you're interested in working with. Um, And for Europe, you have to take, if you're like an international student, uh, you have to take usually um, a language exam uh, and that's it. But for for US, you also have to take a GRE exam and also um, a language uh, exam. So the application processes are quite different depending on the country where you apply to. Wow, that's great information. And what type of questions did you get asked during your interview process? Um, so typically everybody asks you about your background, uh, what kind of research you did um, in your like master's thesis or bachelor's thesis if you had one, um, because not all universities um, uh, make you do a thesis in your bachelor's program. Um, then they also ask you during the interview what kind of research you want to do once you start your PhD, because that's really important. Um, and that's, that kind of leads to the question why you chose their program. Um, and sometimes they also tell you about their research and they expect you to ask them questions. 
that are relevant and um, or they just ask you questions about their research. It also happens. So um, I would recommend before uh, going to the interview, uh, you typically know who you will talk to. So you can always go to their website, uh, look at their projects uh, that they have in their lab, maybe even look at the publications, not like read all their papers, but just to see what, um, just to look through the abstract and things like that, I think that might be helpful. And what type of questions did you get asked, Claire? Um, just on the train of separating the experience um, between the uh, within um, the U US and um, the UK, at least, because you're going in for a specific um, sort of topic. Um, in addition to knowing what your supervisor. Um, does um, and all of the questions that Elvira has, co cover, has covered um, what you will need to know is about your research field that you're potentially going to be in because they ask you sort of guiding questions that source out like um, whether you understand what you're going to be doing for your PhD um, so it was like some technical questions in my first couple of interviews around my research topic and then um, with my company interview it was more like soft skills um, how much I knew about the company. Um, so it was vast, um, two vastly different sort of interviews that I went for. Interesting. And what would you say was the most difficult part of the PhD application process? Uh, for me, it was um, the standardized exam, the GRE. Uh, the language exam wasn't that hard. I took the TOEFL test. Um, but the GRE was pretty hard for me. Um, I think it's hard even for native speakers. The vocabulary part, it includes um, like a lot of words people don't use in their everyday life. So even like Americans, they have to study for some time before taking the GRE test. So yeah, I think it's one of the main obstacles for international students. Uh, to apply to the US. So a lot of times people would prefer applying to Europe because it doesn't have this GRE requirement. Interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. And what was the most difficult part for you, Claire? Um, I guess for me, it was trying to um, source out what sort of questions they would, um, they would ask me. I think the most difficult part and um, difficult interview I had was um, one that was sort of in between um, the technical and the like um, corporate interview where someone asked me for um, a creative to bring um, think of a creative innovation that um, no one had ever thought of before in the world of food. I don't think I answered that question properly, but, but yeah, it was a, it was a curveball in terms of um, what I prepared for because I like looked at typical questions, but that was a typical question that that I was prepared for. But that was the most difficult part for me that middle interview, um, trying to source out what the interviewers would want from from you, basically. And um, prior to getting to know more PhD students, I wasn't really aware of the financial aspect. I thought that it was, you know, um, you 
get paid really well and you know that it wasn't really much of an issue but I would like to hear about how you manage the financial aspect of the PhD and if you had any financial advice as well as how you manage the lifestyle aspect of the PhD because I can see from what I've heard that is very time consuming um, so what advice would you have and what has your experience been? Yeah, so um, in terms of the financial aspect, um, in the U.S., like, personally, I don't experience any specific struggles, uh, but I know that in other countries, and also in Russia, where I came from, it, it is a big concern. Um, so you don't get paid well enough, typically. Depends on the lab, of course, but typically you don't. Uh, in the U.S., I think... It's much better, but uh, it's also relative. Like if you compare um, PhD students to some other uh, professionals, they might get paid less. But um, I think it's only a temporary um, thing. So after you finish your PhD, when you enter a company, you typically get a position that is higher than if you went straight after um, bachelor's degree. So hopefully it pays off um, or like if you if you go and become a professor professors um, I think they get a decent amount but it also like depends um, uh, on the university um, in terms of the lifestyle um, I think what I see very often in my lab and some other labs is that people in the US, they don't have a really good work-life balance. They work very long hours. Um, and it's I think it's even damaging sometimes to their health, but they think about it as a temporary thing. Like, oh, we just have to push a bit more here. We'll get more papers. And then when we're done, like we will slow down and have some life. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a really good strategy uh, because like our health is very important. So personally, I try to pay attention to my health a lot. So I try to sleep very well. Um, I try to eat healthy. I try to cook more myself, um, not eat out all the time, even though it takes a lot of time. Um, yeah, so I tried to pay attention to my mental health, uh, like go on the walks or meditate sometimes. So I think all these things are very important um, and neglecting them, hoping that one day you'll have a better time to take care of yourself. Um, I don't think it's for me. So, yeah. Wow, that's definitely some great advice and tips there. Um, Claire, did you have anything you would also like to say? Um, I will say that um, for the financial bit, bit is definitely another difference between, um, I think, Europe and the US. Um, UK, um, at least in the UK, um, PhD students are not paid that well. Um, most people have to sort of substitute with um, other jobs. Um, I think for um, home students, it's, it's, it's better because I think you get the graduate teaching um, roles and then they can sort of subsidize so that you have like, if you work 20 hours in a week, which limits how much you can actually make. Um, it's a fine balance. And for at least for my PhD, um, I had to take off 
sometime in the last year of my period, I'd take off some time, uh, schedule off a holiday to sort of work through more than that 20 hours to, to make ends meet in terms of that. Um, I think the other stark difference is the payout when you finish your PhD versus um, when you're in PhD. Um, versus, um, so essentially, some people think that after you do a PhD, you're sort of going to be paid at least more than if you just finished from your like um, undergraduate degree. For some fields, that's not the case, um, at least for engineering, it isn't. Um, there's some niche fields, at least, um, that that's the case, where a PhD is a requirement um, the UK, but for the most part, I think that I'm on par or slightly lower than people that left my degree at fourth, um, at fourth year. But it's not the typical experience. That's my personal experience, um, and at least for a couple of people that I know. Um, so um, in terms of the financial aspects, I would just say that you should get a like a job, a graduate teaching assistant job would be the best one, best one because they pay quite well. And it's within your university, so you can control sort of the hours that you work and align that around your um, your research um, experience. And then um, with the lifestyle bit, I wish I had the advice that Elvira is giving. Um, while while I was doing my PhD, um, I only started taking that on in the last year after I had like a burnout in a, in a year and a half um, into my PhD. Um, so it's actually making time for yourself, giving yourself breaks and like knowing that you shouldn't push yourself too hard because it is, it's not, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And so just trying to work and work and work um, for a couple of years, which is what your research degree is, um, will burn you out. So it's to take those time and take those mental health breaks and actually have like diversify your activities so that you're not just doing um, this research degree that, um, for the whole time. Um, that's kind of my advice that I would give. And as well as the advice that you've given, are there any other tips or advice that you would like to give somebody going through the PhD application process? Yeah, I have plenty. I think the first thing is to uh, realize how much time the application process actually takes. Um, also how much like finances it takes. So if you're applying to the US, you have to start like a year before you intend to enter your PhD. Um, and you probably have to sign up for the exams even earlier than that. So you already have to take the exams um, like almost a year before you start. And to prepare for those exams, you need, maybe for TOEFL, you don't need that much time if your English is good but for GRE like for me it took I think three months like continuous um, preparation like every day um, like for a couple hours or so so it's a lot of effort uh, and also for me like I was applying to a lot of programs and in the US it's not free most of the times there are like a few programs that allow you to apply without an application fee, but typically you have to pay from uh, as, as low as like $50 per application to $150. And when you apply to like nine or 10 or 15 programs, it all adds up. And with the, uh, with the exam fees and uh, the application fees, 
uh, it can cost you as much as like um, a few hundred, a few thousand dollars. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is, uh, so th uh, the application process, it goes like this. You take the exams, you write all your um, like statements of purpose, you submit recommendation letters from your recommenders, then you wait for some time where after the deadline, the program, if you, if the program uh, contacts you and tells you that they want you to proceed to the next stage of the application, um, you uh, have to devote a big chunk, big chunk of time to go to all the interviews, uh, because most of the times for the PhD uh, interviews, those interviews are in person. Uh, of course, uh, now because of COVID, they were virtual, but I think soon they will go back to the way it was. So for me, for example, uh, since I applied to many programs and I got a lot of um, interview invitations, um, I actually had to fly to the U.S. for and stay in the in the U.S. for like a month and a half or so uh, because um, there were only a few days between my interviews and it didn't make any sense for me to go back to Russia and then fly back right away. So I had to also uh, like make agreements with universities so that uh, they would split all the costs for my traveling. Um, so it was uh, a lot of hassle to organize the travel. And uh, of course, during that time, you cannot uh, continue just studying in your university if you're still doing finishing your uh, previous degree. So you have to take that into account. Those were, that was some great advice and great tips. Claire, did you have anything you would also like to add on? Um, so I think in terms of doing the PhD, um, I would say that you should um, consider um, what your end goal for the PhD is. So what, what you want to be doing after you do the PhD to really understand if you want to invest that time in the, in the research degree. Um, I think if you want to go into academia, like um, Elvira said, this is a precursor to academia. Um, if you have a particular job route that you want to go through to figure out whether a PhD is actually, at least for the UK, whether a PhD is actually a requirement to, to be in that job field, um, for applications, I would advise that um, you sort of reach out to um, PhD students um, once you've selected your supervisor and selected your research field, reach out to PhD students in that group um, if you don't already have an interview with them. So to find out what the research experience is within the group or within the universities that you're thinking of applying to so that you get the better feel for what your interview is going to be like, but also what your PhD experience is going to be like before you start. Um, those are my, I guess, two key bits of um, advice that I would give. Great. And do you have any specific places where women who want to start doing a PhD in STEM, where they could get some support for their apl application process? Um, I don't think um, I know like a specific website where you can get uh, support for the application, but I think one of the most common strategies is to find somebody from your school who entered a PhD program that you're interested in, or maybe a friend or a friend of a friend who studies in that PhD program and just contacting them 
and asking advice about the application, maybe even asking them to look at your CV or statement of purpose. Um, I did that, uh, like, for example, like after my uh, bachelor's degree, I went on an internship to Caltech um, for the summer and I met a lot of people there and some of them, they um, already like started their PhD um, after that at MIT and I contacted um, uh, like one person and he looked at my CV and gave really good and statement of purpose and gave really good advice, which I think helped me. Um, so yeah, that's a good strategy. Also like applying for internships uh, also is a good strategy while you're doing a bachelor's or master's because that's how you get all these connections with people in other countries. Um, um, also, uh, in terms of uh, preparation for exams, um, for TOEFL, for people who take TOEFL or GRE, I found that uh, Magush, that's the like online uh, test prep, um, it's very useful. Um, it basically like uh, tells you, uh, it, it basically teaches you all the theory you need to know, all the rules, uh, everything you need to know to take the test, and then it has. Um, like hundreds of test questions that 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 you could actually like um, like similar almost the same like kinds of questions you would get on a test. So if you actually go through all of them, I feel like you would be much more confident in taking the test. Um, yeah, and in general, when you write uh, your CV or statement of purpose, I feel like it's important to show it to your current supervisor, your friends, family who might have um, experience in academia um, and to hear uh, as much advice from people as possible and make several iterations. I think I made like 10 iterations of my CV and my statement of purpose before I actually submitted it. Great. And do you have any recommendations, Claire? Um, I don't have any sort of um, actual like websites, but it would be along the same lines of, of what Vera has shared, where you should um, reach out to um, people um, within your network that have done PhDs and usually willing to sort of help. Um, if you're a member of any sort of um, association, um, professional association, we're reaching out to maybe your mentor within that to see whether within that the network they have anyone that has done a PhD that you can speak to. Um, but I don't think um, I, have any, I don't have any um, websites to sort of share um, to reach out to people. They pre people are pretty open to helping. Yes, and I'll definitely add on that social media is definitely a great place, um, especially Instagram. During my research on, you know, researching STEM, I found so many women in science on Instagram that discuss their application process, as well as discuss their day-to-day um, -day lives of being a PhD student and how it's impacted them, as well as if you go to any institution that might be, for example, here in the UK, I'm part of Women in Engineering. They also have a sec sec section that is 
um, available for you to get mentorship and you can specify that you want somebody who's done a PhD already and that way you can get some mentorship and some guidance as well as using LinkedIn. Um, I use LinkedIn a lot in my um, job process and I spoke to people who were in positions that I want to um get into and I asked them you know how did they get there and any advice that they have so you definitely have a couple of options that are available and I'll definitely look into it but I'd like to thank you both Claire and Avira for coming and giving both of your opinion I think that is going to be very impactful and very helpful for um, other women to hear about the PhD process and as well as maybe the different um, pros and cons that they might want to consider how best can people get in contact with you um probably through my Instagram uh, which is anti-aging underscore a girl <laughs> great and claire how can people get in contact with you um i guess into my instagram also which is claire um c-l-a-i-r-e and then my last name which is n-n-a-e-d-o-z-i-e um just um those together um yeah that'd be the best way great and I also again, wanted to um, encourage uh, people who are studying biology and they're thinking about PhD to consider it more uh, because I think uh, if you're in biology and uh, you don't have a PhD, you would probably not be able to participate in some kind of innovative research and be an independent researcher yourself. And when I was choosing um, like to go into a PhD in biology or not, I was um, kind of motivated by the fact that today there are so many like diseases uh, and even like aging that we don't have a treatment for. And sometimes people, when they face um, some of those diseases uh, in their families or in, with their friends, they feel hopeless. Uh, but when you go into science and um, uh, specifically to biology, um, you can actually take control of some of um, that research and not feel hopeless. So I can actually feel like I can do something right now. So I think that's very empowering in science of biology. Adding that as well, I think that this conversation has been very educational. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Kat. Thank you for listening to this episode. It was such a pleasure having both Claire and Alvira on the episode, giving great advice. And I hope you make sure to subscribe to listen to more episodes of the podcast, as well as make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly underscore engineer to find out more about women in STEM and to also find out more about our upcoming episodes. Thank you.